2: From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. In her new book, Work, Pray, Code, UC Berkeley professor Carolyn Chen offers up a provocative spin on what has happened among Silicon Valley professionals. Their work has become their religion. She means this literally, and she studies religion, so she should know. Based on in-depth interviews with more than 100 Silicon Valley workers, she writes, quote, work has become a spiritual practice that inspires religious fervor. People are not selling their souls at work. Rather, work is where they find their souls. We'll talk about the new book, and we'll want to hear from you, too, if work is really where you look for belonging, identity, and even transcendence. That's all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum, I'm Alexis Madrigal. When I first heard about Carolyn Chen's new book, Work, Pray, Code, I didn't realize that it was not a management or self-help book about figuring out how to find yourself in the office. Rather, it's a serious academic examination of Chen's central thesis. Quote, subtly but unmistakably, work is replacing religion. Like, literally. Work now plays the role in highly skilled, highly paid jobs that church would have before... But what happens when you look for spiritual meaning inside some of the most profitable corporations the world has ever known? Joining us for the hour is Carolyn Chen, a sociologist and co-director of the Berkeley Center for the Study of Religion. Welcome. So happy to be here, (laughs) Alexis. Um, I know that you may not want to place value judgments, but I have to say that looking for transcendence in your role at Salesforce, say, seems to me kind of bound to disappoint. But you don't actually always find that in your book, right?
3: Yes, exactly. I think that what we need to understand is that um, we live in a particular kind of ecosystem right now, where religious participation, religious affiliation is on the decline. And when we think about what are the most meaningful institutions that are around us, what are the institutions that provide us with identity, belonging, purpose and meaning? So often for many of us, particularly professionals who live in knowledge industry hubs like the Bay Area, that is the workplace. And what I found was that many people found a sense of meaning and purpose and identity and belonging in the workplace. And they were, in fact, very happy um, and fulfilled through their work.
2: Well, there was a sense that the sacred pieces of life, like things you were willing to sacrifice for, things you were willing mm-hmm. to give up family time for, those things weren't actually found in you know, people's yoga practice or things. like It was actually found in, like, at their actual literal job.
3: Yeah, let me talk about a little bit about how I got started on this project because I am a scholar of religion. I am not a workplace scholar, um, and going into a business corporation was really very new to me. Um, and so, I'm a I'm a sociologist of religion, and I'm accustomed to. And normally, I study religious things. So that's religious people, religious institutions, communities, practice, etc. Um, But I think that if you live in a place like the Bay Area or really any of these kind of coastal metropolitan areas in the United States, you'll notice that religion is on the decline. Religious participation, religious affiliation is on the decline. In fact, in the United States, the fastest growing religious group are religious nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And so for me, I was really interested in how... um, I was really interested in the presence of religion in secular spaces. And so I actually first started this project by studying yoga. And I went to yoga studios. I did a lot of yoga. Um, I'm an ethnographer. So I go into spaces and I practice with them. And then I conducted interviews as well. And I found this thing that was really interesting, which was that when I talk to people and I ask them, why do you practice yoga? You know, when do you do it? Um, They would tell me things like, well, I practice yoga after a long day at work because it helps me de-stress, it helps me relax. And I practice yoga because it helps me become a better. And here you can fill in the blank. It could be a nurse. It could be a lawyer. You know, it can be an engineer. And work became a really central part of their narratives of why they were practicing yoga, which you could say is a quasi, you know, spiritual practice. Um, And it really became clear to me that they were willing to submit, surrender, and sacrifice for their work, they were willing to have headaches, get headaches. They were willing to sacrifice their marriages, their well-being, um, you know, their free time, their health. All of these things for work, and that instead, yoga was this ancillary thing. It was therapeutic to help them become better workers. And so that's how I stumbled onto thinking about work. For me, in terms as a scholar of religion. As I was looking for the sacred, right, in these secular spaces, it became became clear to me that what's actually sacred here is work. And people's lives were centered and dominated by the institution of work. And these spiritual practices were really there to support their work.
2: Well, and this obviously was supported by the management of these companies and the way that they thought about getting the most from their workers You actually write, I'm quoting here again, the task of modern management in late capitalism changed from organizing work to be more efficient to making it more meaningful. Why was having more meaningful work considered to be such an important part of of managing a company now?
3: Yeah, so let me back up and give some social you know, social historical context here. What we see happening in the 70s and 80s in the United States is this transition from an industrial to a post-industrial economy. Some scholars call it a knowledge economy, which is, you know, generally what we call the tech industry in Silicon Valley. And so, in a industrial economy, your most precious assets might be your natural resources or your technology. And what we've seen that's happened in the United States is these we, we've uh, we've deindustrialized, we've outsourced, you know, our our labor to places like Vietnam or China or Mexico. However, in a knowledge economy, the most important asset for the industry or for a company is your human worker. It's your human capital, and so how do you then grow your assets? How do you grow your human capital? Well, you can make sure you invest in their skills; you they get educated. Um, But there's also this other side of the human worker, which is essentially their discretionary effort, Mm -hmm. right? That spiritual side. How do you align the spirit, the most, the deepest part of a worker, with the needs and the goals of a company how do you access that and that's why this issue of meaning became be, has become very important for modern management i think that if you look in any like just flip through any issue of harvard business review these days i mean it's the kind of spiritual the spirit it's soaking with spiritual language you know telling um Management that they need to provide, they need to make sure that their that their workers find purpose and meaning in the workplace. When workers do that, they identify, they personally identify with the goals of the of the company. And now, really, in any Fortune 500 company, it's really become standard for all companies to have a mission, uh, to have a set of Um, practices and ethics, to have an origin myth, and even to have a charismatic founder, right? And these are some of the really basic elements of religious organizations. So in my book, I call companies, um, the workplace, um, the faith communities in these knowledge industry hubs like uh, like Silicon Valley.
2: I mean the really weird thing it's it's not weird to me that companies would try to do this would try to make work mm-hmm. central to our lives would try to soak up our discretionary effort as you put it by making work seem like the most important thing. The weird thing is that they're succeeding.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> right? Yeah. That work that yeah. people have internalized these desires as their as their own as their the route to self-fulfillment is to do fulfill the company's mission.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So there's another part of this story that I haven't mentioned yet, which is that what we've seen in the last uh, 50, 60 years is also the decline in religious participation, the decline in civic institutions and civic participation. So these are these institutions outside of the workplace that used to give people a sense of identity and belonging and meaning and purpose. So if we think about, if we go way back, say, to the 1950s, um, um, this is where we see sort of the rise of the white-collar workforce. Well, the typical white-collar worker was working 40 hours a week, 9 to 5, and building, and I'm going to just say his life because they were mostly white men, but, and that typical white-collar worker was, you know, working from 9 to 5, but then building his life outside. In his faith community, in the Rotary Club, in his neighborhood association, in his political club, et cetera, et cetera. Well, what's happened in the last 60, 70 years is really the decline of these institutions, and religion is part of that trend. And so we need to so when you kind of understand that sort of ecosystem, well, then what are the institutions that draw our devotion? What are the institutions these days that provide us that sense of identity and meaning and belonging? And companies have done a fantastic job, Um, especially I would say tech companies that I've studied have done a fantastic job in articulating that mission and giving that sense of purpose to people. So part of the story here, too, is that people are working more. Um, We've seen this shift happening in the 1980s, particularly among um, high school. Workers and professionals, so they're working more. They're participating in civic activities and in religion less. Um, work is, in a sense, gobbling up all of their time, energy, and devotion. But here's the other piece of the story because we ha- we've heard this story before, right? Because mm-hmm. we talked a
2: about, great speed up, as I think Mother Jones called it a while back.
3: Yeah, and we also call and and we we now talk about work-life balance, right? Because because people, you know, just feel like they're so inundated with the demands of work. So we talk about how work is extractive, taking so much from us. But the other side that we haven't talked about is that work has become more fulfilling. There has been a change in sort of corporate culture that really started in the 80s with the globalization of of the economy and this American firm's seeing that okay, we need to compete with firms from across the country, so we need to sort of step up our game when it comes to culture. And so they've changed they've changed things in the structure, so f- sort of flattened kind of the organizational structure, um, give employees stock options, um, invested in their personal development. These are ways that companies have made work more fulfilling.
2: We're talking about how work became the gospel of the tech industry with Carolyn Chen, co-director of the Berkeley Center for the Study of Religion and author of Work, Pray, Code, When Work Becomes Religion in Silicon Valley. We want to hear from you. Is this striking a chord with you? Do you look to work to find meaning or community? Can you admit that to yourself? (laughs) Does your employer bring spiritual practices into the workplace you can give us a call now, 866-733-6786. I know any journalist listening might feel attacked at the moment. The number is 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. or KQED Forum. Or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum after the break.
4: This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission.
2: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with Carolyn Chen, co-director of the Berkeley Center for the Study of Religion and also author of a new book, Work, Pray, Code, When Work Becomes Religion in Silicon Valley. want to hear from you. Do you look to work to find meaning or community? In part, maybe because you spend all your time there and that's where you're going to, to have to. Does it bother you, perhaps, that that's the place where you have a chance to do self-development. You can give us a call back at uh, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, KQD Forum. Or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Uh, Carolyn Chen, while many of the things you're describing apply pretty broadly across industries, you do argue that, this stuff is particularly acute in Silicon Valley for for a bunch of different reasons.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the big reasons is simply that these companies are just so wealthy that they actually have the money to to throw at you know they call them perks, right? But um, to throw at their at at at, at their at their employees, um, I think also that they're able to hire. I mean, at it, it, many of these big tech companies, they have really an army of uh, organizational psychologists uh, who are really—it's their full-time job to figure out how to make you happy and fulfilled at work. Um, Many of the people in HR that I interviewed use this very sort of maternal language to describe their jobs. They talked about how their job was about nurturing the souls of their employees, um, how to bring wholeness to the workplace. Um, this is very much what they saw their, you know, their mission to be.
2: Wow. There's also something, too, about the type of people that are coming to Silicon Valley, too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you call a lot of the folks who who move here tech migrants, right, who are mm-hmm. sort of unmoored from the other institutions that they grew up with or even their social groups.
3: Yeah, I think that's a really important part of the story when, uh, you know, when I say that work is replacing religion in Silicon Valley. Um You know, um, almost no one from Silicon Valley is actually from Silicon Valley. Everyone is essentially a migrant from somewhere else. Um, You know, they might be from India, they might be from Germany or China, but even more are people coming from Kansas, from Michigan, from Georgia, from Texas, you know, places in the country which are more religious, say, than the San Francisco Bay Area.
2: Which is the least religious area in the country.
3: Yeah, which is one of the most least is the least religious areas in the country. And so then they come here and um, they are looking for community and they're looking for belonging. And their startups and their companies provide this so, so Fully for them, um, one of the interesting patterns that I found in my research is that people who used to be religious that they would leave their religion once they started working in tech companies, and and you, you know, found that
2: across religions too, right? Christians, that, Hindus, Buddhists—they all just. Kind of- I
3: found this across religious traditions, and a big part of the reason is because essentially work sucked up so much of their time. But it also started to provide for them all of the things that religion once provided for them. And they were so consumed by work that they really had no time to go outside and join other communities. So interesting.
2: Uh, We want to get to some of your calls shortly. Uh, But I, I do want to ask before we get there. One way that companies have encouraged work to feel more meaningful is to really provide actual sort of spiritual training mm-hmm. in the workplace, right? We're mm-hmm. not talking, you, you refer to kind of corporate maternalism, you know, the sense of like development, but there also things like
3: mm-hmm.
2: mindfulness training. Can you tell us a little bit about how those things diffused into the workplace?
3: Yes. Um, so actually, you know, it's not just a Silicon Valley thing anymore. A lot of companies perhaps even KQED (laughs) provides some meditation and mindfulness training, um, because there's purportedly a lot of science out there, right, that it's going to make you more productive. Um, But yeah, a lot of these tech companies would bring in meditation and mindfulness practices. Um, They would also um, bring in spiritual and religious leaders who would give inspirational talks, sort of like TED talks. Um, And and also for their senior leaders, they would hire them executive coaches. And again, this is not just a Silicon Valley practice. Um, I spent a lot of time with executive coaches. I went to their training workshops. And many of them told me about how they would introduce Uh, spiritual practices, many of them Asian spiritual practices of meditation, mindfulness, breathing, reflection, journaling, um, in order for them to help, particularly senior leaders, to help them define and understand their purpose in the world, but subtly to also align that sense of purpose with the work that they were doing. Um, You know, there's a, principle behind all of this, which is part of also the corporate maternalism of which, you know, spiritual care is part of. And it's this concept that I call the personal is the professional. Mm -hmm. And it's this idea that we perform our best professionally when we are in our optimum mental, physical, and spiritual condition. And I don't think that anyone could argue with this, right? I mean, if you are going to work and you just had a fight with your spouse Mm -hmm. or you're not getting along with your children or you're hungry or you're tired, right, or you feel lonely and alienated, you are not going to be performing the best in your workplace. Um, And so in these tech companies, because they have the resources – and particularly focusing on their senior leaders, the whole idea is like, how do we make our senior leaders whole? How do we make them in their optimum mental, spiritual, and physical condition so that they could be leading so that they don't have to be working, worrying about their laundry, a lot about their laundry, about their lunch, about, you know, you know, about getting their car fixed and their minds bodies and spirits can be fully at work. I mean, in a way, when I was doing my research there, I was kind of thinking about um, in Mad Men, you know, how in Mad Men, like Don Draper has his own personal secretary, and she basically takes care of everything for him, right? Well, what tech companies have done has really grown that to scale. So you don't have to be Don Draper anymore, you know you could be a rank and file engineer and you 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 can get the massages you can get the haircut and et cetera et cetera you don't have to worry about those things you get your theater tickets taken care of um, and you know that's what one of the uh, um, one of the engineers that I interviewed told me you know hr they're they're like your mom you know <laughs> they're like your mom they take care of everything and who who wouldn't want that Um,
2: We have some great uh, comments coming in. One, Deb writes, I find this topic fascinating, but also sad. Your religious organization won't fire you or lay you off. It's a good point, Deb. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's bring in Amy into the conversation. Amy from Napa, welcome to the show.
6: Hi there. Hi, Hi, Amy. Go
2: ahead. Go ahead, Amy. We can hear you.
6: Oh, thanks. Great. Uh, My name's Amy. I'm a domestic violence prosecutor in the Bay Area, and this topic really resonated with me uh, because I do find a lot of meaning and I guess spiritual connection to my work in the sense that I'm protecting victims of sometimes very awful crimes, and um, I think that there's a moral and ethical component to that that sort of guides most aspects of my work. It also makes it difficult for the reasons you were just stating. Uh, You have to sometimes learn to put your job aside so that you can go home to your family and like live your life um mm-hmm. but it's difficult when it's something this serious and meaningful um and so this topic just really resonated with me yeah.
2: is there anything that worries you about investing yourself in this work meaningful as it is for you
6: there is um i think it's kind of twofold one is you don't want to get so inundated with some of the bad stuff that you can't start the good stuff in your own life, mm-hmm. and the other, I think, is that you don't want to lose your objectivity. Obviously, as a prosecutor, I have to make sure that I'm living up to the very, very high ethical standards that we have. So, I don't want to in, you know, the nitty gritty of what happened to someone and lose your objectivity.
2: Yeah, yeah. Hey, Amy, thank you so much for for that perspective. And I, I wanted to ask you, Carolyn. Is it different when someone is in a job like a, a domestic violence prosecutor or something that has its own separate code and maybe social function in society aside from, you know, growing the profits of a, of any given tech company? Do you think there's something different about that, that kind of work from what happens to tech workers?
3: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And, and I, you know, and I struggle I think about this question a lot just with, my, with myself, um, you know, because academics like to think that, we, um, that we're following a calling ourselves. Um, and um, I, I think that what is different is that we don't have uh, here, me and the prosecutor, we don't have this whole organizational apparatus uh, who is, like, taking care of us and giving us an articulated mission, Right and purpose, and sort of manufacturing this sort of culture for us. I think that that I, I think that that is I think that is different, but I think that we still um, are vulnerable to making work our entire lives in our temples. I, I think mm-hmm. that absolutely, it's it's the same thing that's going on, and 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 this is again, as I mentioned before, particularly prevalent because the scarcity of other institutions uh, that can give us this kind of belonging and meaning. Um, When I interviewed tech workers, I asked them, so where do you find community outside of work? And the answer again and again was, well...
2: What outside of work?
3: (laughs) They would say to me, well, community is a challenge here. This is what they would say to me again and again. You know,
2: I will say, you know, in the... Towards the end of your book, you really start to argue that it really matters
7: mm-hmm.
2: that these employees are having all of these different needs of body, mind, and soul taken care of by mm-hmm. by tech companies. And it doesn't just matter to to them, you know, as individuals, but it actually matters to the broader civic fabric. Can you talk a little bit about that?
3: Sure. Yeah, happy to talk about that. So, um, in, at the end of the book, I. I talk about what I call techtopia. And techtopia is a society where we find our highest form of fulfillment through work. And techtopia, I think, really describes Silicon Valley. And what I argue is that in a techtopia, some people are finding wholeness, those who are within the tech companies, right? But it is breaking and it's tearing our social fabric for those without. So I argue that... Essentially, in a techtopia, um, the the companies um, companies act like these huge and powerful magnets that are attracting all of the time and energy and devotion of a community, and here you have these other magnets. In society, which are essentially these other social institutions, which have grown smaller and weaker in comparison. And if they want to compete for the time and energy and devotion of a community, that they essentially need to go and service the company. And so what we see is that, for instance, this is taking this is having an effect on our religious, our faith, organ, on our faith communities. Um, I remember that one uh, Buddhist priest that I interviewed told me that, you know, no one was showing up for the morning sitting or the morning meditation anymore. So he decided that because they weren't showing up to the temple, he would bring meditation to the workplace. However, in bringing meditation to the workplace, he had to alter many of the teachings of the dharma in order to make them fit into a secular workplace, but also to fit the goals of the workplace. So out went, you know, so he had to he had to make a teaching which might have taken like an hour into half an hour. Uh, he had to strip the teaching of any of the ethical teachings. So this gets then located into the workplace. Um, another thing that we're seeing, is, that what I'm seeing, is that when I spoke to public officials, they told me, well, you know, tech workers are politically apathetic. They're disengaged because essentially they don't have time. But beyond that, their needs are so well taken care of within the bubble of their tech companies, that they don't need to engage with the public anymore. Mm-hmm. So just one example is one person I interviewed told me that the local park in his community, it got closed down, and there were signs like, come to this public hearing, but no one was using the park anymore, um, and they didn't have time, and so it simply closed down, and um, there's another example from—so, um, sorry, just going back to, you know, religious leaders. I also talked to a Christian pastor who told me the same thing. Basically, you know, 30 years ago, the typical member of his congregation was coming every Sunday and then staying for, like, Sunday school or religious education. Now he says his typical member uh, might come once a month. Mm. And this, provi- this is a volunteer challenge for him. Yeah.
2: Let's bring in some more callers. I know the phones are full here. Chuck from Petaluma, welcome to the show. Hey, Chuck, can you hear me? Ah, shoot, we lost Chuck. We uh, will go to Chaz in Louisiana. Hey, Chaz. Oh, hi, how do you do? Hey, doing well, doing well. Go ahead. Well, I was
1: just listening in and... uh... Hey, when you're talking about that sense of purpose, I was uh, going to call it, say that you know, in in my like in the music and entertainment realm, um, you know, I've always found that whether I'm hired by another band or I book a show, whether it's you know you know background dinner music or two hundred seat place, there's always that sense of uh, <clears throat> that sense of purpose mm-hmm. uh, that's involved in in that in that kind of profession. I was kind of going to ask you like, so it doesn't seem like um, <clears throat> That that's always been kind of kind of the way that you wouldn't you know instill your um, you know like uh, your your life. I mean uh, whether you whether it was your company or you work for someone else. I mean, uh, isn't that just kind of the natural way? It's always been and huh. and um,
2: that's interesting. Yeah, let me but, let me put that together. Yeah,
1: like, your, you, your, your purpose in life. I mean, because you're you know, it's that and your kids
2: essentially. Right, right.
4: <laughs> well, that's
2: interesting. So how how do you think um, just before we go to break? How do you think it That has changed that balance between finding meaning in family and outside things and finding meaning in work.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, I I, I would say, Chaz, that I I, I don't think it has always been that way. (laughs) There used to be, you know, work had a different meaning before. It's essentially labor exchanged for wages. I mean, that's its most basic it's that's its most basic meaning and and we used to think of work as something that we wanted to avoid as much as possible right so we would have as much leisure time as as much as possible but that's not necessarily the way that we talk anymore you know we talk about wanting to find our sense of meaning like we need to have meaningful jobs because if you don't you're a loser you know i mean that's sort of the way that we talk mm-hmm. these days so i think that this is a really this is a big shift and i think I think that we really need to locate this in the institutions that provide us meaning in society. One
2: is just so interesting. Uh, We're having listeners kind of say, well, one listener writes, why wouldn't one's career play a central focus in your life and therefore play a central role in defining your reason for living? As the guest points out, by necessity, most of us need paychecks. We spend Mm -hmm. a significant portion of our waking life at work. We should endeavor to ensure we're fulfilled while doing it. Meanwhile, Kyler says, and I'm going to want to talk about this when we come back from the break. I work for a tech company. I'm not that into my work, but I find myself relying on it for personal growth anyway. And I find it disturbing when I'm out with friends and find myself talking about work, which I'm not even that interested in. It must be even more boring for the person I'm talking to. (laughs) Similarly, I have friends who work at the large tech companies, and it is even worse for them. I can tell they're trying not to talk about work, but that's literally all they have going on. This ring true for you. We're talking about how work has become religion with Carolyn Chen, author of Work, Pray, Code. When work becomes religion in Silicon Valley, you can give us a call 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum with Carolyn Chen after the break.
4: This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission.
2: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about how work has changed over time, how it's become, for many people, a religion. We're joined by Carolyn Chen, co-director of the Berkeley Center for the Study of Religion and author of a new book, Work, Pray, Code, When Work Becomes Religion in Silicon Valley, which is out from Princeton University Press, I believe. Want to get to more of your calls. Uh, Let's bring in Luke from Berkeley. Welcome, Luke. Hey, how's it going? Hey, doing well, doing well. Go ahead. Um, So I'm switching careers, going from
7: a production background to a tech background, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, That's going to be work from home. And I'm doing this because working physically has made it harder for me to find the things I find fulfilling, uh, whether it be spiritual or like the community, especially with my friends i'm finding i have less energy doing that and now i'm switching roles here And i feel like this is happening partly because of the pandemic and seeing so many people um change so is this still consistent are people in the tech industry who went from work from home are they coming back to work and still feeling this uh Uh. fulfillment or is this not the, the trend anymore
2: Look, that's such a great question. I want to um, toss in one comment from another listener, which is, big city folks base their identity on work or side hustle, whereas rural people are more community-based, i.e. church, high school graduated, college fraternities, et cetera. What impact does remote work have? What do you think? I know that the the main bar of your research ended before mm-hmm. the pandemic, um, but based on you know this book rolling out, I'm sure you've been talking to a lot mm-hmm. of people. Um, what have you been hearing about the impact of remote work?
3: Yeah, that's a great Great question, and I think it still remains to be seen. I think there are – this is – I'm hearing a few things here. Um, One is that um, professionals, people who are doing remote work, are really burnt out um, because they are working more hours, uh, because they don't have to commute. They're sort of – their companies assume that they're available all the time. Um, There's that, but I think that the other factor of burnout is that they simply don't have – the spiritual care, or they don't have that kind of care, they, they're not, uh, in a sense, um, they're not finding as much social meaning. Uh, or purpose in their work anymore because they don't have that proximity. It's, it's, it's a little bit different when you're just attending in a me- meeting on Zoom, right? You turn your computer off and it's just you and your computer. <laughs> so I think that that contributes to some of the bur- burnout. And I think that this is, in fact, as your listeners have commented on, is that this is a time that many people are questioning the place of work in their lives and they're discovering other things that they can do with their time um, and with their energy because because they don't have that sort of um, um, work isn't fulfilling those needs in that same way. Um, but I think that still, if we were to look at it, still work is the most important institution in most people's lives. It's mm-hmm. taking up most of their time. There's a way with which work simply has priority in people's lives. We submit, we surrender to it, we sacrifice for it. You know, Alexis, if you asked me, hey, can I, um, can you, Carolyn, can you pick me up from the hospital tomorrow? And I said to you, I can't because I have work. Well, we both would agree socially that that's perfectly legitimate, right? Uh, That work is the priority. So the question really for me is, is, are we going to change as a society? Is the place of work really going to change in places like Silicon Valley? To me, the question really is, are we building up other institutions and spaces and communities where we can find meaning and belonging and identify that will claim our energy and devotion? That really is the question for me. And Work is not going to change if we just watch more Netflix <laughs> or even if we just go bike riding, you know, if we have personal hobbies. This is really an ecosystem that we've built, and it will take a change, a collective change in our ecosystem and our institutions to change uh, the the what I call the theocracy of work. Let's bring
2: in Bruce from Berkeley. Welcome, Bruce.
3: Hello.
1: um. I'm curious about the role of psychedelics in this because it's known that many of the founders and current CEOs of these tech companies have used psychedelics and see it as a spiritual awakening kind of. Mm -hmm. And many um, Silicon Valley workers either party with psychedelics or use it for spiritual reasons and I, I wonder if it influenced the founders to bring spirituality into work
2: that's an interesting question Bruce and I, I you know I would extend that question a little bit count uh, to talk about like why these particular mm-hmm. religious traditions have come into Silicon Valley right
3: yeah yeah that's a that's a great question it's not just a random thing I think that it is partly a story about the rise of you know these Asian I mean the bay area San Francisco was uh, was really the epicenter of um this of of the counterculture and kind of white America's uh, sort of fascination with Asian spiritual traditions so you had beats in the 1950s who were interested in Buddhism and then in the 60s and 70s and you know so you had the counterculture um, really rise up hand in hand with the rise of the tech industry. Um, and um, Fred Turner talks about this in his book, um, From uh, from Counterculture to Cyberculture. So that was very much um, a part of sort of the origins of Silicon Valley culture. And what, you know, so you had, like, the, uh, the the establishment of places like Esalen or the San Francisco Zen Center, right, which in the 60s and 70s were part of the counterculture and on the margins. Mm-hmm. Well, now these folks have become the elites of the Bay Area. So someone like Jerry Brown, you know, he was going to Esalen. And, you know, he, he was part of the counterculture in the 60s and 70s. And, you know, now he's one of the most powerful people in um in in California. So I think that there is also partly that story and kind of and many of the executive coaches that I interviewed were people who had come to California to the Bay Area. Were as
2: spiritual migrants, as not as tech migrants.
3: Exactly. Yet. As a spiritual migrants and then are sort of needing to sell monetize their spirituality, um, these, these spiritual practices as the cost of living has has increased. Yeah.
2: Well, and I think we want to also talk about who specifically has access to these meaning-making tools within companies, because it's not all workers. And uh, let's bring in Joe from um, San Jose. Welcome, Joe.
0: Hi. um, Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, I was calling in reference to a comment earlier about... Uh, I guess statement of fact that all the tech workers or especially CEOs have all these assistants uh, take care of all these things for them, these, that, you know, clutter up their lives, so to speak. Um, and it makes me just feel uh, upset about this because by taking away all these things that basically everybody else has to do, they are becoming sort of a royalty and they develop a false sense of the world that, Oh yes, you know, uh, uh, I can do all these other things because they don't even realize that
1: mm-hmm. the
0: reason they can do all these things is because they've got all these people doing these things for them. Um, and it just, it gives them a terrible sense of empathy. I think for the quote unquote, the rest of us little people who are stuck with all these you know things that we have to do because we're not part of this royalty. Um, it just, uh, it's really discerning. Uh, and I spent 30 years in tech, and I, I've seen a lot of it, and I saw a lot of a lot of the big shots. And the other thing I just wanted to say was that so many of these CEOs, the reason we're having a life-work balance and all the rest, I think, is because so many CEOs and companies aren't really about solving our problems. Um, they're about giving us things that we think we want uh, and in fact, we do want them, but they come at such a high price. And these companies and all these organizations are not really solving the giant problems it faces, which are yeah. income, wealth inequality, the climate crisis, guns, and you you name it. These guys right. are, have a ton of power, and they're solving problems that are going to feed their, their royal empires.
2: Yeah. Thank you, Joe, for that uh, perspective, Joe, in San Jose. We're talking about... How the Nature of Work Has Changed, with Carolyn Chan, Associate Professor of Ethnic Studies at UC Berkeley and co-director of the Berkeley Center for the Study of Religion. She's the author of a new book, Work, Pray, Code, When Work Becomes Religion in Silicon Valley. Wanted to bring in uh, Mariana from Berkeley. Welcome, Mariana. Hi there. Can you hear me? Sure can. Go ahead.
7: Okay. Yeah. I want to talk since I've been fascinated by the... um uh, connection between work, labor laws, and religion from an early age. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the classic books that really struck me was The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism mm-hmm. that the, Ma- the German sociologist Max Werber first published in 1905. It was during my whole years as an undergrad and um, uh, grad student the Bible that we read that, yes, Protestantism and work ethic is very, are very, very connected. So now that I hear that in the tech company, um, you know, work has become a religion, so my question to the author is, which, whose book I'm very, very interested in, mm-hmm. is hasn't there always been a connection between religion and work?
2: Yeah, for sure. Thank you for that, uh, Mariana. And I think, well, go ahead.
3: Yeah, absolutely, uh, Mariana. You must be a sociologist uh, like me. Um, um, so yes, you're referring to Max Weber's work, um, "The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism," and you know, in that book, he argues that uh, the um, our Western um, our, our Western capitalism is an outgrowth of um, Essentially, the Calvinist um, idea of salvation—that um, only certain people are predestined to heaven—and so that essentially uh, people work in order to pre- prove that they are one of the that uh, the. the, the The fruits of their labor offer them assurance that they're one of the chosen. So Weber was writing during a time when essentially the church and religion was the Alpha Institution, right? So it gave meaning to their work. But now we're in a time in the 21st century where the Alpha Institution is the workplace. And so we're sort of switching around the roles of the institutions. And so that the workplace is the institution that gives meaning to other parts of life and drives other parts of life.
2: Yeah. Um, Wanted to read uh, one comment. A listener writes, has your guest run across research subjects who identified so much with work? And work culture that had caused a breakdown in interpersonal and family relationships. My ex-wife and I moved here in the mid-aughts. Her identity seemed to fuse with whatever large company she worked with. Our marriage suffered and ultimately failed. While there were many factors that led to the demise of our family, I believe Silicon Valley killed it. I simply couldn't compete for her attention any longer. She wasn't the same person anymore. She grew personally, but was that worth losing me Is tech company employment? Really worth it. Um, Let's go straight to uh, Laura in Portola Valley. Welcome, Laura.
7: Oh, hi. um, Thank you so much. Well, we can talk extremes on both sides, but if we agree to meet in the middle, what's so wrong about replacing two often gender-based activities, i.e. religion and family, with something, if I can be so blatant, more meaningful? I mean, if religion and family were so fulfilling, we'd have a lot happier population. So people need training. The average human needs training. We need to know about uh, things such as spirituality. We don't even know how to eat well. We need training. Mm -hmm. But religion has taken that role now. And maybe corporate teaches other people more about self-direction. And those people do advance. Yes, maybe they grow personally, and then they um, solve problems we need to solve, like global warming and hate.
2: Such an interesting point, Laura. Carolyn.
3: Yeah, that's a great question, and Laura, I, I I also wrestled with that question a lot in my research because these people were, in fact, very happy. The people that I interviewed were, in fact, very happy and fulfilled. Um, and and I think that I should just say that uh, it is not my intention that everyone has a job that they hate and that they... <laughs> <laughs> I
2: figured that's why you wrote
3: this <laughs> Right, right. And that would actually be an awful world too. And I think that we need to, um, you, you know, the work that we do is important. It does give us purpose. It does give us meaning and it gives us dignity. So work is a very important institution. I think that what is a problem is when it is the the alpha institution, <laughs> that's that all other parts of ourselves, all other parts of our communities need to revolve around. And I think that is, at least in the case of Silicon Valley, is exacerbating social inequality. Um, um, and it's leaving out a lot of people. I mean, I
2: think one of the things that callers keep identifying, and you keep keep returning to uh, as well, is like people have individual relationships to these things. They say, well, why shouldn't I care about my job? What, or, mm-hmm. or they say, people don't care about, you know, they, it's about individual things. Mm-hmm. Whereas what you're trying to really identify is this ecosystem that companies have created that is, in fact, something quite different from just your individual relationship with the company you work for, but all these companies' relationship with this whole region and what it's doing to this place.
3: Right, absolutely. And this is really what I hope to bring as a sociologist to understanding sort of you know the ecosystem of our devotion, you could say, or how, how if we were to map out our devotion, is that you know we as Americans often think that we get to choose what we worship, or you know what we believe in, or how we want to spend our time. I mean, this idea of choice and personal choice is really ingrained in our culture. But what I want is what I'm trying to convey in this book is that actually our social institutions and the configuration and strength of our social institutions that these form us spiritually. They have a very deep impact of our in our spiritual formation, and they direct and guide our devotion, and they constrain our, the choices that we have. So that if we live in a society where work provides us with our material needs and our social needs and our spiritual needs, of course we're going to gravitate towards that. Mm-hmm. You know, of course that's what we're going to do.
2: Yeah. We have some great uh, comments coming in. I just want to get to a a few of them. One listener tweets, Apple literally co-opted the term evangelism in the 70s to build a following for their products. Another listener writes, what your author hasn't touched on is the promise of wealth creation. That out- way outweighs spiritual fulfillment, presumably for tech workers. Mm-hmm. Uh, another listener tweets, does this mostly happen to young people with no experience in layoffs and how when mm-hmm. one, one yeah. leaves a company, one realized those folks weren't friends. And Lassing Lois writes, as opposed to the industrial worker whose work life involved one employer, think General Motors, how do you explain that today's knowledge workers don't stay with a single employer but change jobs quite frequently? How can one employer... Or, you know, how can religious fervor arise when people are changing employers a lot? Just in our last 30 seconds.
3: Yeah. Oh, a lot of great questions here. So um, one is I'm just remembering one quote from one engineer who told me that money is essentially like toilet paper to us. Like we don't want to think about it too much. And so, yes, I mean, wealth creation is of interest and interesting I think that really what and, and these companies know this too is that really what's going to drive their workers is that beyond you could you know there's beyond a certain point where the material perks don't matter anymore it's really the spiritual perks that are going to be driving people and just look at any of any of the management literature that you read today will say that as well yeah.
2: we have been talking about Silicon Valley and the nature of work with Carolyn Chen, Associate Professor of Ethnic Studies at UC Berkeley and co-director of the Berkeley Center for the Study of Religion. Her new book is Work, Pray, Code, When Work Becomes Religion in Silicon Valley. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you, Alexis. Good to be here.
2: So much fun. Such an interesting book if you're interested in these topics. There's so much more than even we were able to get to uh, here this morning. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim.
7: Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation.
4: This is Barbara Leslie, President of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way